Well, we come this morning, this Christmas Eve, to think and ponder about the birth of our Lord. Our songs have focused upon this event. Our scripture readings have been about this event. Our prayers have focused upon this event. And it's my intention this this morning merely to unpack several verses that continue to detail the greatness of what took place that night in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. We're going to look at two verses this morning. So I invite you to open your Bibles once again to Luke chapter 2. My focus this morning is going to be on verses 10 and 11. 10 for a thematic um, overdrop, I guess, and verse 11 regarding the specific topics that we will look at. Once again, let me read verses 10 and 11. The angel said to these shepherds, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The recipients of this angelic message were an insignificant group of of men. They were shepherds. Now, in their day, shepherds weren't exactly the, the highest ranking people on the social totem pole. They were typical blue-collar laborers is who they were. Average people. People gave these shepherds little or no recognition. Maybe remember the time when uh, the, the people of Israel were redeemed from the house of Egypt and Joseph's family moved into Egypt. Remember where they were, were given to live? They were given to live off in the, the outskirts of a place called Goshen. In Genesis 46:30. For we read, every shepherd was loathsome to the Egyptians. Just keep them away from us. And maybe you remember the day when Samuel had come to anoint the future king of Israel. The Lord instructed Samuel to go to the house of Jesse the Bethlehemite because I've selected a king for myself from among his sons. And so when Samuel came to the house, Jesse gathered all his sons except for one of them, right? David was off doing the lowly, thankless job of shepherding. The sheep. And these particular shepherds who received this angelic message not only weren't so significant people in the, the time of, of Jesus, they were also working the night shift. The night shift is oftentimes given to those who um, aren't working the day, right? It's the thankless job. I, I remember working the night shift several times as an employee and I hated it. I know, Roger, you just got off the night shift. And I know that others work the night shift as well. It's a hard, it's a hard shift. It's, it's um, given to insignificant people in some sense. Not saying you're insignificant, Roger, but to, to say that it's, um, you know, not, not the easiest job in the world. It's a hard job. It's a, it's a dirty, thankless task that they were called to. And certainly as they were here in the, the midnight and the, the night, there was some kind of of watch, that they had some kind of rotation. Some of the shepherds were probably sleeping and some awake. And then after a few hours, maybe they'd switch places so at least they could get some type of sleep then for the next day's work. And these insignificant men, in fact, we don't even know the name of any of these men. They were on the outskirts of an insignificant little city, the city of Bethlehem, located about six miles southwest of uh, Jerusalem. There's nothing particularly great or grand about this city. In fact, even the prophet Micah called it a city that was too little to be among the clans of Judah. 
The idea is almost that it's just this small little city. We, it's so small we, we, we can't even count it hardly. It's the idea there. Yet these insignificant group of men on the outskirts of an insignificant little city, to these people came one of the most significant messages of all time. They were privileged to hear the first public proclamation to anybody in the world that the Savior of the world had come. And I just think about how like God this is. He looks upon the humble and the contrite of spirit. Here Jesus was born, the King of kings and Lord of lords, born without great fanfare and hype and pageantry, not in a, not in a stately room, not in a, a, a grand hospital, not even in a clean room. But when Jesus was born, the, the Son of God come into the flesh, He was born in a dirty barn, sharing it with dirty, smelly animals because, as verse 7 says, there's no room for Him in the end. In our text this morning, we read of the first public proclamation to anybody of His arrival upon the earth. And who's privileged to hear it for the first time? The common shepherds. And this is like God. Like God looking after the common, the lowly. Right? Psalm 113, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Always just the common people is who God has a great interest in. And the message first came to them, we read in verse 9, that they were terribly frightened. Totally understandable, right? You think about the situation. They're outside the small village, the countryside, overlooking a flock of sheep. Now it's dark. I've told you before, but back then, you know, they didn't have street lights. They just had lamps. Maybe you could see a lamp or two lit in Bethlehem down there someplace. You know, very dark. Maybe it was the stars, maybe a little bit of light, maybe the the moon, a little bit of light, but pretty dark, quiet, no rustling of I-90 in the background, no horns. People, most of the time when it got dark, stayed at home, stayed right where they were. Most Most of the sheep in the pasture probably sleeping. Some of the shepherds were also sleeping as well. Maybe you hear the the quiet wisping of the wind. Maybe there is a a stream far off. You could hear the the, the trickling sound of it. Other than this, a type of situation that causes for droopy eyelids. Just quiet, dark, peaceful, serene. And suddenly the angel came. A brig light shined in the heavens. The angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. We don't know how much noise the angel made. We know that the angel did speak. But we do know the brightness of the, the dazzling nature of this angel. You know, Every picture we have of heaven and the glory of God is a dazzling, bright throne. And you think here the, the contrast of the darkness along the the countryside and then the brightness of, of the angelic vision was enough to startle anybody. The strangeness of the event. I mean, angels just don't appear to you all the time. And the strangeness of this event would have created a heart-pounding fear in them. And the first word out of the mouth, here it comes in verse 10, is do not be afraid. Well, easy to say, but hard to do. Bright light. Radiant light and the darkness, unusual event. Here comes a voice and the voice says, don't be afraid. I think they were gripped with terror as they saw this. And then the message came though. said, behold, I bring you good news of great joy which will be for all the people. This morning what I want to do is pick up 
the terminology of verse 10, good news of great joy, and apply it to each of the phrases here in verse 11. Because, see, there's a strong correlation between these, these two words, good news and great joy. When you receive good news, what's your response? It should be great joy. Right? Your boss gives you a Christmas bonus. And you come home with a smile on your face saying, Good news, honey, my boss just gave me a check. $2,000. What a bonus. Good news. Great joy. Or maybe you receive that letter in the mail that informs you of your acceptance into the college where you desire to go and along with a surprisingly helpful and generous financial aid package. How do you respond? Mom, Dad, guess what I got in the mail? I'm accepted! And the financial aid is more than we thought it was going to be. Good news. Great joy. Receive a phone call from your daughter. She's just given birth to your first grandchild. And what do you do? Good news. You weep with joy. Great joy. And today, I just simply want to pick out the phrases of verse 11 and show you how it's good news. And having heard and understood the good news, I want to press upon you the, the great joy that this news contains. My aim this morning really is that you would leave this place with great joy in your heart because of the good news that's been said and told us here in verse 11. So let's look beginning at this first word, verse, verse 11. Today. Let's just stop there and consider this. Oh, what a good word this would have been to the shepherds in the field. All Israel was anticipating this day. For years, they were looking forward to this day. They didn't know exactly when it would come, but they did know that it would come. There were prophecies in the Old Testament that prophesied of it coming. And they knew that it would come. They knew some of the details that would take place, but they didn't quite know exactly when or or how it would take place. Let me just ask you, have you ever known of a blessing, of the blessing it is to see a day that you've waited for finally arrive? It's a day you've been anticipating and then you wake up in that morning knowing that today is the day. I think graduation day is a good day for that. right? You've worked and worked and worked and worked and studied and now the day finally comes. You get to walk across the platform, get your two seconds of glory, receive your diploma and sit down never to have anybody ever tell you, you have to study this. It's a great day of rejoicing. The day has come. Maybe it's a birthday celebration. You've planned your party for weeks. Your friends are coming. You're going to have your favorite food and you're going to do your favorite activities with your favorite people. And when that day arrives, what's your heart like? It's a day of great joy. And maybe it's your wedding day. And waiting, anticipating that day in which you can say your vows to the love of your life, knowing that you have the rest of your life to spend with that person. The day arrives. When that day is today, it is joy. Children, let, let me ask you, do, you, do you guys have any anticipation maybe for a day in the future that you can maybe think of? A day that maybe, you know, you're so excited about that you, you can't even sleep the night before. You, you, you know anything like that? Well, I know as a child, I, I can relate to that. We have this, this thing in our home. I'm not even quite sure what to call it. I call it a, a wall hanging or, or something. If <laughs> you have anything like this in your home, maybe some of you have this exact thing. It is a, um, 
It's a village scene here. We see a little village over here. It's probably Bethlehem maybe coming. We see some shepherds here in the field. And we see here in the... Oh, we have we have this, which comes off. Okay, It's a little picture of Mary and Joseph and a, and a donkey. And here's a stable and here's an inn. And there are 24 different spots of Velcro. And, um, you know, December 1st, the child... This, it's like this, right? And then December 2nd, Mary and Joseph moved to here. Now, the magic thing in our house is that I've never moved this Mary and Joseph, but as I've looked at this thing over this past month, it has never been on a wrong Velcro strip. It's just, it just moves automatically. Uh, it's like automators. I do have a suspicion, though, that um, a couple children over here might move it. It's not been confirmed, but it just, it just moves all anticipating that great Christmas day. In fact, our kids are so into this that it hit December 1st, and I don't think we had to remind them or tell them about this. They chased it down in a, a box we had somewhere in our house, and they, they hung it up. And it's been in our house for several years and um, probably will be for several more. But it's, it's all the idea of anticipating this day. And then when the day finally arrives tomorrow morning, Christmas Day, kids are very excited and enthused because the day has come. Well, in a similar way, here it is the shepherds hearing that today is the day it's all come. I think about how Israel was looking for this day that Messiah would come. For centuries they knew that it was coming. They knew the prophecies foretold the day when a child would be born to us and a son would be given to us. And the government will rest upon his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall accomplish this. Isaiah chapter 9. These people of Israel knew this day when the sun was coming, when their king would be born. But they didn't know exactly when. They knew there would be a day when the daughters of Zion would rejoice greatly and shout in triumph because they were told the king is coming, right? Just and endowed with salvation, Zechariah 9.9. They knew that Jeremiah said, Behold, the days are coming when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. He will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our Righteousness. They knew there would be a day when Messiah would come and sit at the right hand of God. They knew there would be a day in which He would rule in the midst of His enemies. They knew that that, when that day was coming, but they didn't have a felt calendar to be able to figure out exactly when that day would come. They were hoping and anticipating it. As Tom read for us, Simeon, a righteous and devout man, was looking for the consolation of Israel, looking for it and anticipating it. Anna... Later in Luke chapter 2, we read how she was, was speaking up and talking with those, verse 38, who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. They were looking for Messiah. They knew that He was coming. They didn't know quite when. Now, had they fully understood the mystery of the Old Testament, perhaps they could have traced through Daniel chapter 9 and figured out a day in which He was coming. It was somewhat hidden from them. But they're waiting 400 years. 400 years. The Old Testament canon had finished with the book of Malachi, which pronounced that Messiah was coming. The forerunner would come first, right? who we know now is John the Baptist. 
And then after that, Messiah would come and make His entrance. But there was 400 years of silence as they waited for Messiah to come upon the earth. And I'm sure as they waited, there was some slackness toward their anticipation in the years without, without Him coming. It's somewhat, I think, probably equivalent to our anticipation of the second coming. We know, we've heard, that Jesus Christ is coming back to the earth to claim it as His own. And that day... All who are His friends will be gathered together into His kingdom where Christ will rule and reign upon the earth. Those who are His enemies will be judged and destroyed, thrown into the lake of fire. But, but listen, what about your heart? As Jesus has delayed in His coming, in His return, isn't there a little bit of, um, of a, a slackness in just our eager anticipation? I think this is probably what was taking place during the days of, of Israel. Slackness. Yeah, they knew He's coming, but maybe it wasn't like the forefront thing of their mind. Oh, on some it was, but on others it wasn't. But in the back of our mind, right, we know we have this eager longing for Him to return. All who love His appearing long for Him to return, to come and claim the earth for Himself. And wouldn't it be good news to hear these words, Jesus Christ is coming today? Wouldn't that be good? That's what the shepherds heard. They heard, today is the day. Jesus Christ has come. The, the joy of the world. The eternal Father. The Son in which the, the government upon His shoulders. This one has come. That's what today is about. It is good news of great joy. But you need to know this, though. As much as maybe he, His coming seemed delayed to the Jews, it wasn't. It came exactly according to the plan of God. Galatians chapter 4 speaks about when the fullness of time came... God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. So He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. See, see, God had set a day, and He knew when the day would come, so it was when the, those days were filled up, when it was right, He was going to return. He was going to come. And so likewise, though He's waited 2,000 years, Jesus Christ will return to earth the exact timing that God, our Heavenly Father, has prescribed. Not a day too soon, not a day too late. He'll come back again. And oh, the glorious day when we hear those words, Today He's come. Well, the angel of the Lord described that day in great detail. He said this, Today, verse 11, in the city of David. You know, when Jesus Christ returns to earth a second time, He's going to return in such a way that every eye will see Him. He said, Just as the lightning comes forth from the east and flashes to the west, so to the coming of the Son of Man be. Right? The idea is this. The lightning flashes across the sky and you can see it and you can know it. And He's coming. The second coming, there's no reason at all for you to have anybody come and announce to you His coming because all will see His return. <clears throat> no need for angelic visions when He returns for a second time. As Revelation 1 verse 7 says, every eye will behold Him. And Jesus warned His followers. If someone says, Behold, He's in the wilderness. He said, Don't go out. Or even if someone says, Behold, He's in the inner rooms. Don't believe them, right? Because when Jesus comes back, He's going to let the whole world know. But this wasn't the case of His first coming. His first coming was to a specific place. It was to, as it says here, the city of David that Messiah would come to. Now, without question here, the city of David is Bethlehem. David was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Bethlehem. He tended his sheep around Bethlehem, perhaps even in the same pastures where these shepherds were tending their sheep. And in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 6, 
Bethlehem is called David's city. It's made clear there, even in verse 4. The city of David, which is called Bethlehem. In fact, it's why Mary and Joseph had to travel from Nazareth up in the north to come down because of the census and they need to be registered in their hometown. They're of the line of David. Their hometown was Bethlehem. So that's why they returned to his city, to David's city. Now, the Old Testament was clear that the Messiah would come from the line of David. In 2 Samuel 7, the Davidic covenant is recorded. There's a covenant that God made with David so long ago. In it, God promised the Messiah would sit upon the throne of David forever. Listen to what he said. He said, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom you shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. In fact, so ingrained was this fact. The people of Israel knew that the Christ would come from the, sign, from the line of David. When Jesus asked the Pharisees, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? It was like easy, easy trivia question. They answered instantly. They said, The son of David. Everyone knew that Messiah would be of David's line. And furthermore, many knew where the Messiah would be born as well. He'd be born in Bethlehem, David's city. Shortly after the birth of Christ, right? The Magi, remember they came from the east. They came looking and they said, where is he who is born king of the Jews? We saw his star. We've come to worship him. And Herod was troubled. And so he gathered together the chief priests and the scribes of the people. And he said, okay, where's Messiah to be born? And almost without hesitation, they said, oh, in Bethlehem. Of course, everybody knew. In fact, they even quoted from Micah 5, verse 2. As for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. So the Magi took the six-mile hike down to Bethlehem. On the way, they saw the star that they had followed from the east. Maybe it vanished at some point when they got into Jerusalem because they were a little confused. Brought them down to, to Bethlehem and in their anticipation to see the child... Matthew chapter 2, verse 10 tells us that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Almost exactly the same words here, right? Rejoicing exceedingly with great joy, right? The travels wouldn't be in vain, right? They had come to see the king and they're going to see the king in the city of David. And I'm sure this, these shepherds heard this news from the angelic messenger that they, their response was much the same. They, we're surely right, rejoicing to know that it's the dawn of the age. The Messiah has come. He's in the city of David. It in, indeed, it is good news of great joy. Bright days were in store for the Jewish people. They would be to redeem from their oppression. Right? It's, the, it's really the focus of our, our next phrase here in verse 11. In the city of David, there is born for you a Savior. Right? When they thought of Messiah coming, they thought of having a Savior. And, and perhaps even this is the best news of all in these different phrases here in verse 11. The Savior has come. He's come to rescue us. Listen, we all know what it means to need a Savior. Nothing captures the news wires like someone who's in peril who needs rescuing. I mean, a, a baby falls down into the well and the entire nation sits in their seats glued to their television to watch what's going to happen to this little baby. Or coal miners are trapped in a mine after an explosion. It's all we hear about for the next few days. We become mining experts. I think about even just this past week, right? What was the story this past week? Climbers on Mount Hood. 
three climbers had gone up in this incredible search, you know, for these climbers up in Oregon. It's in the papers it's everywhere. It's on the news. People are thinking about the snow. They're thinking about snow caves. They're thinking about hypothermia. They're wondering how long can you survive in the wilderness, right? A few weeks ago, uh, right after Thanksgiving, there was a story about a, a couple that left, I think it was Oregon or Washington coming down, and they never came. Lost. I mean, the, the news came out that they had turned off into a logging trail someplace and were caught in their car and a massive search effort, right, looking for them. And if it's not these, it's others. I mean, there are others that, you know, if these weren't in the news, if this Mount Hood thing didn't happen, there are some uh, re- American hikers up in China who have been missing since November. We could have heard about them. This past week's major flooding in Malaysia. Rescue workers have gone after them on boats and on aircraft to help bring these people to flooded regions. Right? We, we know about what it means to need a Savior. And there's something about us that is just captivated by this because the news knows that's a good story. Someone is there. We hear about them. We're going to go and try to rescue them. And there are countless others who need a Savior every day who never reach the news. In our country, we have a fabulous system called the 911 system. Just dial three numbers and you can reach someone who you can call for help. Say, help, I need a Savior. Millions of calls made every year to 911. People call this number lots of reasons. Right? Someone's choking in the restaurant. Boom, 911. They're looking for a Savior. Come paramedics, come help us. Some store is being robbed and, and some worker back in the, in the back stock room Calls 911 looking for a savior. A house is on fire. So the owners, right, get out and call on their cell phone 911 looking for the savior in the fire department. A driver gets stuck in a winter blizzard. Calls 911, help, I'm stuck on I 90 someplace. The baby's left alone in the bathtub, only to be found later not breathing. The terrified mother picks up a phone and calls 911 looking for a savior. A man is in the woods cutting down a tree. It falls on him and breaks his legs. His fellow workers call 911 looking for some type of Savior. And these are just but a, a few reasons why people need a Savior. But were the truth be known, all of us have need of a Savior this day. Oh, we might not be in this room today here in physical danger, <clears throat> sitting in our comfortable chairs, comfortable room. But... We're all in spiritual danger. And we need being saved from our sins. In fact, I would argue even this. This is the greatest need all of us have. We all have a great need to be saved from our sins. That's what God has provided for us in Jesus Christ. In fact, that's what the name Jesus means. Yeshua, Joshua, Savior. Matthew 1.21 She shall bear a son. You shall call His name Jesus. For He will save His people from their sins. And that's who Jesus is. He is, as verse 11 says, a Savior. Someone said, it's an anonymous quote, I don't know the source of this, but it's been said this, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent to us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent to us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need was pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest needs forgiveness. And so God has sent us a Savior. And throughout the Scripture, Jesus is called Savior. Rather than giving them all, which would take us too long, let me just give you one. 
two maybe. Titus chapter three, verses four through six says this, when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Or Second Peter, very last verse in Second Peter says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's the one that saved us. In, in, indeed, even in John chapter 4, verse 42, the, the Samaritans who came to believe in Him declared Him, Jesus, He's the Savior of the world. And I just say this, how can Jesus become your Savior? How can He be your Savior? It's really, it's really easy. You need to be like those who call 911. First of all, you need to recognize your need. The problem with many people is they don't, um, don't know their need. They're in perilous danger, right? They're in a car going over the cliff, soon to die. Like, why do I need to call 911? Right? They're on a raft going down, about to face the waterfalls, and they say, I'm not in danger. Why do I need to call 911? But you need to recognize the danger you're in. <laughs> you just need to cry out to God. It doesn't need to be an eloquent cry. You ever heard tape recordings of 911 phone calls? Right? Help! Help! My husband, stop breathing! And always on the other hand, calm down, calm down, it's okay. They say, help! Help! I'm in an accident! My wife is stuck in a car! you got to get her! Come help me! Calm down, calm What did you say? I couldn't understand you. Well, your cry to God can be just as non-eloquent as that. God, help me! Help me! It, it, it may not be right a matter of life and death these seconds, Okay? But it is a matter of life and death. And the feeling of your heart ought to be just as desperate. You say, God, I'm in danger of perishing in my sins. And I see where I'm headed without you. God, rescue me. Help me. Be my Savior. Be merciful to me. Cleanse me through the blood of Christ. I have no hope other than that. Whatever kind of cry like that. It's not just a once-in-your-life kind of cry. It's an everyday kind of cry. God, be merciful. Help me again this day. Preserve me. Help me. Save me this day. You know, the Scripture sometimes speaks about how Christ continually saves us. Saves us all the time. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul spoke about how the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but us to our being saved, right? Present tense. Continually being saved. The cross is the power of God. Continually pleading God to help, help, help. It's the cry of every Christian. And this, let me say, right? When you're rescued from your sins, there's great joy. There is great joy when you're rescued from your sins. Think about when you get in an automobile accident. What's your reaction when you see the policeman coming? Isn't there like relief? He's going to help tell you what you need to do, where you need to go, help solve all your problems for you. When your child stops breathing... What's your reaction when you see and hear the ambulance coming down the street? Isn't there joy that wells up in your heart knowing the Savior's coming? When you're stuck in a snowdrift, what's your reaction when you see the snow truck coming from down the road? It's like, whew. Though difficult circumstance, there is a joy and a relief. And when your house is burning down, what's your reaction when you see the big red truck coming down the street? Yes, it's come. They're going to help. And isn't... It, relief and happiness and joy and hope and expectation all rolled into one. Right? Isn't it? 
Aren't there tears of joy when you know that your deliverance is close at hand? You know your Savior's coming to help with all the resources you need to get you or your family out of trouble. Well, this is the joy that every believer in Jesus Christ ought to feel. The, the Savior's come and He's ready to save. There's great joy there. When you consider the Old Testament passages that predict the coming of the Savior, you see this often. I mean, it often the Savior is coming. Rejoice, right? Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your King is coming to you. He's just and endowed with salvation, right? Rejoice because your Savior is coming. Psalm 118. Verses 22 through 25. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Talking about the cross of Christ where salvation is, right? This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity, right? The day of rejoicing is the day of salvation that is coming. And the saving activity of God is occasion for us really to rejoice in the marvelous working of God in our lives. <laughs> we rejoice and we're glad in the day of salvation. You know, and it makes total sense why the angel of the Lord then would announce this news of a Savior coming. It's good news of great joy. And I just ask you this morning, are you rejoicing in the fact that Christ Jesus has come as Savior? Are you rejoicing in the saving work of Christ in your life? You know, if you're not, if, if this is kind of message kind of bores you, you're like, Okay, he's a Savior. You know what? Maybe it's just an indication that you don't have it. You don't understand the saving work of Christ. And I plead for you to call 911, the heavenly 911 number, and cry out to God for mercy. You know, I remember the day in which Jesus told the parable about two people coming up to the temple. They're in the same place. <laughs> One, though, is coming up proud and arrogant, thinking he had it. And the other's come in the place and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said one of them went down to his house justified. Not the proud religious Pharisee, but the, the humble sinner who cried for help, the Savior. Well, let's look at our last phrase here. We've seen today. We've seen the city of David. We've seen born for your Savior. <clears throat> now we come to this final one, Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. I'm choosing to take these two titles together. He is the Christ. He is the Lord. It makes sense really to take them together because in many ways they're synonyms. Now, there is a difference in them, but in many ways they're synonyms. The Christ is the anointed one. The Lord is the reigning one, the ruling one. But oftentimes it's the one who's anointed is the one who rules and reigns. I mean, I think about this with David. David was the anointed one, 1 Samuel 16, and eventually then he came to reign, 2 Samuel chapter 1. We see this in, in Psalm 2. The kings of the earth are taking a, their stand against the, the Lord and against His anointed. <laughs> the Lord responds by laughter. <laughs> these puny guys, these kings, rulers of the, the universe, right? men of great power, the Saddam Husseins, the George Bushes, the Tony Blairs, right? <laughs> They're mocking against me. Huh. I'll put them down. He said, as for me, I've installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. It's the Holy One. It's the Anointed One who's going to rule and reign over all the kings of the earth. He's the Sovereign Messiah. It's Christ the Lord. Right? These titles speak about the Special One who's received all power and is worthy of all praise. 
In fact, that's exactly what Peter said in his famous sermon on the day of Pentecost. You remember Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He's both Lord and He's both Christ. Both Lord and Christ. And this message, right, that dawned the new era of the, the church age, immediately after Jesus ascended with Peter preaching, right, is the same message that the angel proclaimed, that this baby is Christ the Lord. And often when the Old Testament predicted the coming of the Anointed One, it was in the context of joy and gladness, right? It was the good news of the Anointed One coming, right, with great joy. Isaiah 61 very famous passage, Isaiah writes, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. There it is, the anointing, the, the, the christening, right? The, the making Him of Christ, right? Anointing Him, the anointed one. That's what it is. To bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so they'll be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that He may be glorified. See, when the Anointed One comes, what's it going to come with? Joy and gladness and rejoicing. It's going to bring relief to those who are suffering, bring freedom to those in bondage, Comfort to those who mourn, gladness instead of mourning, praise rather than fainting, right? It's joy and gladness when the anointed one comes. And that should have been the reaction from these shepherds as they heard about Christ the Lord coming. And that's where I want us to be this morning. See, the good news of great joy is that Jesus came to dwell among us. The anointed one bringing good news of happiness and joy. I want to close really by looking at how the shepherds responded. Look at verse 16. They heard this message. They came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in a manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at these things that were told them by the shepherds, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. There was Christmas cheer all around this first child, this child on this first Christmas morning. Those who heard the shepherds relate their story were filled with awe, verse 18. Filled with wonder, thaumadzo. They were just um, amazed. Mary pondered them in her heart reflecting upon them. And the shepherds returned, right? Glorifying and praising God for everything that they had been privileged to see and experience. There was great joy surrounding that first Christmas morning. And really it comes down to this. How are you, you going to respond this Christmas season? Yeah, Christmas tomorrow. Will these things be treasured in your heart? Will you find joy in the person of Jesus Christ? He came to earth at the right time today. He came to the right place in the city of David. He came with the right purpose as a Savior. He's come as the right person, Christ the Lord. Will you find joy in that message there? You know, Christmas is a, is a very interesting time. It's the time uh, I heard one man describe it. that um, It's a time when we're all happy and we could give gifts even to our enemies. We can grumble and complain about the boss you know, all year long. But then good Christmas time, we come and have a happy smile. 
And uh, this man was saying just how surfacy it all is. And you know what? This Christmas Day, there's some of you going to find yourself in a in a in a good situation, right? Families believing all around you, right? You have good feasting, and you can just have joy and happiness the Christmas Day of just all the gifts, all the family, all the love. Woohoo! But you might be in danger though of missing what ought to give you the greatest joy, which is what this verse says. Christ the Lord, the Savior, come from the city of David today. And uh, I just encourage you, if, if you have many worldly blessings and have everything going for you today, this Christmas season, things are looking on the up, I just warn you, you know what? Don't find your joy in those things per se. Find your deeper joy in Christ. And maybe some of you are in a different situation. Maybe you'll find yourself on Christmas Day in a depressing situation. Maybe you'll find yourself surrounded by, by families shattered by divorce, by unbelieving families, sinful family members coming together, really not in such an edifying way. Well, I just ask you the same question. Are you going to find your joy in the message that the angel brought to the shepherds? Or are you going to be depressed at your outward circumstances? Children, tomorrow you might get some presents. Maybe tonight. If you have generous parents, right? Christmas Eve. Where are you going to find your joy, kids? You can find it maybe in presents that you get. Or are you going to find it in Christ the Lord? Your presents will give you temporary joy, right? By next week, many of the toys you get will be broken. But Christ Jesus is where you need to find your ultimate joy, your forever joy that will always last. It's good news of great joy. Oh, may we realize it today as a church body. So, let's pray. Lord, I pray that this message, a simple message of the person and work of Christ, that He has come at the right time. According to prophecy, He came to the right place. He's come to do a a great work to save us from our sins. He's come with all the power and the authority bestowed upon Him from heaven on high. God Himself come into the flesh. Well, I pray that this Christmas season, tonight, as we think upon Christmas Eve and the holy night, the silent night, as we reflect tomorrow morning, I pray that our homes would be Christ-filled. We think much and reflect upon the saving message of Jesus Christ. And I pray beyond that, that this message would so stir us that it wouldn't be merely kept to ourselves, but that this joy would, would so bubble up within us that this is a, a, a day of, of good news. How can we keep it in? God, but that we would go and tell it and proclaim it to others that Jesus Christ is born. God, He is the one come to ransom His people to rescue them from their sins, from darkness and despair. And so, God, I pray You'd stir us with light and hope and happiness and joy to enjoy it ourselves and to spread it to others as well. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.